It's great to be with you today, and I'm excited about all that God has in store for us as a church today and also in each of our individual lives. Whether you're watching at home right now in your kitchen or sitting on your sofa or you're here in the building. But first, because I'm speaking on a gift day, I feel like I have to start with a confession. So, so lean in. Um, uh, and that's that I haven't always enjoyed days like today. Uh, I, you might feel like I used to feel. You might be feeling right now like I used to feel. Like, what are the odds? I've tuned in on a gift day. Um, I could have been doing other things. Uh, and then you hear a figure read out and you think, that's a lot of money. <laughs> um, I hope this doesn't get awkward. And, and you feel a little bit like you're shrinking back in your seat. And if you feel that way, I get it. I've been there. I didn't have lots of money when I was growing up. And there were times I was really conscious of not having enough money. And if you have felt that once in your life, you never forget it, actually, that feeling. So I was pretty focused on making money. And when I started working, I was pretty sure that the money I was making was my money. I'd earned it, I'd worked hard for it, and I thought, to be honest, that the church should consider itself lucky, frankly, if it saw any of it at all. And I didn't think it was, um, you know, I was happy for the church to, to tell me how, I, how to have faith or, or how I should pray, but I didn't think it was any of the church's business, frankly, what I did with my money. Like, if I wanted financial advice, I would have gone and seen an accountant, not a pastor. And, um, but then one Sunday, to, to my complete shock, the pastor of our church in East London stood up and said that we were starting a seven-week sermon series on money. And, and I was horrified. I was like so frustrated. I couldn't believe it. I was like, why on earth are we doing seven weeks on money? I don't even think there's seven weeks of content in the entire Bible on money. And, and I don't have an issue with money. I'm pretty sure no one else in this church has an issue with money. And I just thought it was a complete waste of time. But you know, I was completely and utterly wrong. Do you know 16 of the 38 parables, the stories that Jesus tells to communicate deep truths about who God is and what he has done are about money and possessions. One sixth of Matthew, Mark and Luke, the accounts of Jesus' life concern money and possessions. There are 500 verses about faith in the Bible, 500 verses about prayer in the Bible. Faith is so important. Prayer is the foundation of all we do. But do you know how many verses in the Bible concern money and possessions? Over 2,000. And it suddenly hit me. Why wouldn't Jesus' teaching in this area be every bit as compelling, be every bit as liberating, be every bit as life-transforming as his teaching in every other area? And I started to give generously and something changed for me. And I didn't know it at the time, but it's one of the most significant decisions I've ever made in my life. It opened up for me Huge areas of opportunity I could never have anticipated and remarkable areas of blessing I, I never even thought could be possible. We're going to look at this remarkable passage and the first thing we see in it is to test your love. Paul says he wants to test the sincerity of their love in the sense of proving it. And to understand this passage, we have to understand that every good thing in our lives is a gift from God. All resources, all the, all, all, all the kind of, every breath in our lungs, every skill set you've been blessed with, the opportunities you've been given, 
All the resources we hold in our hands for a relatively short period of time, they're gifts from God. God loves a generous giver because God is a generous giver. And the greatest gift he has given us of all is Jesus. Paul says in this passage, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus came. He was rich. He had a quality with God. But he made himself nothing and for our sake suffered and died and was buried and rose for us. Jesus was given for you, for me, that we might be rich, that we might know the greatest true riches, that relationship with God. And I know that, but sometimes, if I'm honest, I can be a little bit complacent about it. I can take it a bit for granted. This week, I was just replaying some situations in my life, various crossroads I've been at, and just thinking, where would I be? Where would I actually be today but for the grace of of God that he found me when I was lost he took you know he freed me when I was captive to fear and pride he took my sin on his shoulders on the cross and paid the price to win me for God and what Paul is doing here is calling the Corinthians to remember what they've been given because he wants to test their love in that sense of proving their love getting them to demonstrate their love he knows it's sincere he knows they love God But he also knows that love needs to be demonstrated. Because if love isn't demonstrated, then sometimes it can go a bit cold and a bit hard. And so he wants them to demonstrate it, to test their love, to compare it to the Macedonians. Paul says, look at the Macedonians. They're in a severe trial. They're facing extreme poverty. And yet their overflowing joy is welling up in huge generosity. Somehow, the constraints they're under the battles they've been through create in them an even greater gratitude, an even greater desire to give, an even greater joy in giving. And Paul is saying, look at their example. Use it to spur you on. Test your love, because as you love, so you give. Uh, When I was at uni uh, here in Oxford, I met a beautiful girl, and uh, she was from the wonderful rolling hills of Shropshire, and I grew up in a, in a slightly different place. And so I always felt like I was punching slightly above my league. And um, we started going out in November, uh, the 18th of November, 11 p.m. on the corner of Bovington Road and Banbury Road in North Oxford. Um, that's when we became official. And that meant that we had only been going out for three months when Valentine's Day came along. And three months is quite a difficult, tricky time to hit Valentine's Day. I mean, how do you play it? Because it feels like it's a bit soon for a gesture of undying love and affection. Like, it's a bit early, you don't want to come on as too keen. But you can't just send a text, can you? Trust me, you can't just send a text. Don't just send a text. And so I didn't have much money. I was reaching the end of Barclay Bank, very generous overdraft. And um, I thought, let's go with flowers. So I went to the flower shop, or florist, as I now know they're called, and uh, 
and I, I, I went in and there were just flowers everywhere and I wasn't sure what to do and I kind of looked down and then I saw and I thought, okay, okay, there's a few options. So the guy saw me, he saw I didn't know what I was doing and he kind of looked at me and he said, is it something for Valentine's Day, sir? And I said, yes. And he said, well, what about this, sir? Single rose, very classy, you know, single rose. And I thought, a single rose, that's nice. It's subtle, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a gesture, it's not too keen, not too cold, maybe I'll give a single rose. And then... The florist said to me, but is it for someone special, sir? <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, I um, well, you know, I, well, I mean, I well, I mean, she's nice. I mean, um, uh, and I was thinking, is she special? Is it someone special? I think, you know, I'm three months in, you know, I didn't come here to be cross-examined on my relationship status. Um, and I was, I was thinking, well, um, well, I don't know really. And... Uh, is she special? And I was thinking, well, she probably is special. So I was like, yeah. And he said, well, if it's someone special, sir, you might, you might want to go for something like this. And he kind of had this little arrangement of roses, bit nicer. And I was thinking, oh, okay, yeah, someone special. Maybe I can stretch that. It's a bit more than I was intending to spend, but okay. And he said, unless it's someone very special, sir. <laughs> and I was thinking, very special? Like, I, I, and looking back now, I think I might have had a slight fear of commitment, which is unusual for a 20-year-old guy. And um, <laughs> I, just the idea of even saying very special. And then he said, he said, well, you know, if it's someone very special, then you might want to go for something like this. And the thing is, I looked at this bunch of flowers, you know, more, more flowers than I'd ever seen in one place in my life before. And um, in that moment, I thought, that's it. No, that, that's it. That's what I've got to get. She is very special. I do love her. That's what I need to get for Valentine's Day. And I was prepared to invest all my money, all Barclays Bank's money, um, in buying this bouquet of flowers. Because I knew in that moment that was what I needed to do. I, 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 that's the gift. And it's like in that moment my love was tested. And it didn't matter, it was 10 times what I could afford. It didn't matter, it was you know, more than I'd ever spent on another human being up until that point. I wanted her to know how I felt about her, that I had experienced love and I wanted to invest all I could in making sure she knew how I felt. And I'm very happy I did 20 years, two months later, because Beth is now my wife and I love her more than ever. Um, but giving tests your Love. The second thing we see in this passage is don't miss out. You see, Paul says, you see you excel in this grace of giving. He says you excel in faith and speech and knowledge, but don't miss out. See that you excel also in this grace of giving. Paul is desperate that they don't miss out. Why would anyone miss out on this opportunity? Well, the, the reality is just in the normal run of life, things get in the way. When I started to work, I had a figure in mind of how much I wanted to earn in my first year of work. And actually, I earned far in excess of that figure, to my surprise. And you would think, I would think, wow, wonderful opportunity to be generous. But I saw this money building up in my bank account, and I just thought, well, you know, maybe it's not quite the right time. And I'd started to work with people who were earning far more than I was earning. And so I kind of actually didn't feel like I had much money at all because they were so much richer than I was. I thought, you know, I'll just wait. 
Might not be the right time. I'll wait till I'm earning much more. And then when I'm earning much more, I can be even more generous. But I was kidding myself. Why would I be generous out of a lot more if I wasn't prepared to be generous out of a lot less? You know, I would have said that faith was the most important thing in my life. But my bank account told a really different story. And deep down, I knew that my income was increasing, and yet my giving had remained flat. And it was like money in those first couple of years at work had really started to get a grip on my heart. And I started, without realizing it, to start to look to money for my significance and my safety and my security. And I realized I needed to shift something, that I needed to test my love. But I had so many questions, it was so easy not to do anything. You know, I was like, well, what's the right amount to give? Like, even if I wanted to give, what's the right amount? And I'd heard people talk about tithing, you know, this Old Testament principle that you give the first 10% of your income to God. And we're not bound by the law. Jesus refers to tithing. He assumes people are doing it. But he emphasizes far more than that, giving your whole life to God. But I found tithing such a helpful kind of starting point, really. There's times when I've really had to stretch. It's been painful to tithe. And there's been other times in my life where I've had so much spare, tithing hasn't been nearly enough for me. But what I've found is if I just use that as a target, then the giving muscle grows and I can push beyond it. Whereas if I leave it vague, I always come up short. And then I said, it's much too complex. You know, even if I decided that was the right thing to aim at, it's too complex. I spoke to my pastor in East London, I said, so complicated giving, isn't it? So complicated. And he said, what do you mean, Steve? And I said, well, you know, is it tithing or more than tithing or less than tithing? You know, I could spend a year working out the theology of that. And, um, you know, is it before or after tax? You know, is it, do, do you do it based on income or capital? So this calendar year or this financial year? Because that could make a difference to me. And he smiled. He was so kind. And he said, Steve, is what you're really asking What's the least I can give and still be a generous giver? And I was like, yes. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wait wait a minute. And he was so kind. He said, Steve, just start giving today. Make a decision to give today. See how you find it and then grow it. And that's what I did. And this extraordinary thing happened. It softened my heart. I actually found I had this whole new love for the church. I'd always been a bit cold-hearted towards the church. Love Jesus, don't really like the church. And then I started giving and I kind of fell in love with the church in a whole new way. Changed the whole way I felt, felt about the church. I remember being at the back of church one Sunday, just putting out coffee cups and always being moved to tears about the fact I have the privilege of giving people coffee. I was like, what has happened to me? But giving softened my heart. I realized in a whole new way that the church only has us to give to it. God showed me in a whole new way the beauty of the church. The church is God's chosen plan for the transformation of this world. There is no plan B. And then to be at this church, this remarkable church in this strategic place with a heritage of seeing people come to know Jesus, people discipled, people released and sent out to impact the world. One of the most moving things about the last few months has been people writing to me and emailing me and phoning me and saying, Steve, St. Aldous, that's the church at which I came to faith. That's the church at which I first heard about Jesus. That's the church at which... I suddenly realized I was called into ministry. That's the church at which I understood my purpose and wanted to live the rest of my days in the workplace working it out. That's the church that had the greatest impact on me. 
in my entire life. People writing from all over the world. It's not different. It's not disconnected. It's not over there. You're part of it. You're connected to it. You have a stake in it. And it's happening even today. I want to give to things like that. You know, people even in the last 12 months, because of your generous giving, have encountered Jesus in this church, have been healed in this church, have been discipled in this church, have been raised up as leaders in this church. And then my final excuse, uh, my final excuse was, I'd look at the church and I'd say, well, you know, it seems to be doing okay. Sure, other people are giving. Not sure it really needs my money. And sometimes... There's been times where I feel like even if I gave all I could and I really stretched, I'm not sure it would really make a difference. You know, we're stretching today. And you know, sometimes I think, I just really hope. It's sacrificial sometimes, isn't it? You think, I really hope this is going to make a difference. And then there's been times when my capacity to give has been so disproportionately large. I thought, oh, I might swamp the church for my giving. I don't want to give it a whole new set of financial problems. But the church does need your money. And what's more, I needed to realize that my spiritual need to give money to the church was far more significant than the church's financial need to receive it. Your spiritual need to give is far greater than the church's financial need to receive it. And that's true whether your capacity is very small or very great. Don't miss out. And then this passage encourages us to make an impact. What I find fascinating in this passage is that as Paul is pleading with the Corinthians to give generously, the Macedonians are pleading with Paul to give him, for him to give them the opportunity to give even more. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of giving. And I feel it's a little bit like an investment opportunity where you know, you're invited to invest right at the beginning of the startup. In the first funding round, just as the thing is getting off the ground. And it's almost like you're given this opportunity to invest. You're given this opportunity to get a bit of capital in the project. And some people are kind of like, well, I'm not sure, I'm a bit reticent, not sure if I want to get in. But some people know this thing is going to grow exponential. And so all they want is to get in for as much as they can, as soon as they can. And it's a little bit like that we're giving to the church. The potential is vast. What you give is multiplied by the Spirit and it causes this extraordinary chain reaction. And giving is better for you. I was reading this research by a professor at Harvard Business School and he was looking, he decided to look at the statement, you know the statement, money can't buy happiness? You heard that statement? He, he decided to look at that and test it because he was like, maybe people just aren't spending it right. Like, there must be ways of buying happiness for money. So he did this whole study. And what he found was there was a way that money could buy happiness if you disposed of your money in one particular way. And that was to give it away. And he even calculated that each £500 you gave away had an equivalent happiness quotient, feeling of happiness, as receiving £10,000. You can try that with your boss, boss on Monday morning. Say, boss, do you want to feel like you've just, you know, you've just um, got 10,000 pounds? Give me 500, you know. <laughs> but it's true. I've experienced that. It's funny, Harvard's only taken 1,950 years to catch up with the New Testament. But it's there. It's not just happiness as well. I've found as I've given 
sometimes small, sometimes sacrificial, sometimes in times of hardship, sometimes stretching. I felt a new freedom. I felt a new joy. I felt a new peace. I felt a new trust. Seems God gives spiritual blessings to those he can trust with material riches. It's birthed a new gratitude in me. It's opened up new opportunities for me. It's opened up doors I could never have anticipated. It's been so moving to hear of the generosity of this church, to see it in the midst of all that's been going on over the last year. By giving to the church, we sow into people's lives in a way that starts a chain reaction. I've experienced this. Someone gave so that we could have children's work at the church I grew up in. It's an awesome privilege that we have 273 children here at St. Aldate's. And we can invest in them. We can see them grow in their understanding of God's love for them. Think what is possible for every one of their lives. How important is that they grow up knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour and as their friend. We want to invest in children. We want to rebuild the children's church here as things start to open up so we're ready to welcome families from across the city. When I was 17, I thought I almost completely lost my way. I was making so many mistakes. I felt like I was literally being torn in two. You know, between the people at my school and how they were living and how they were telling me to live and how I felt God wanted was calling me to live. Someone gave so we could have a youth worker at my church and they walked with me. They encouraged me. They, they encouraged me to step up at church, to, get, to lead a small group, to give my first talk. They saw God's hand on me when I felt like a fraud and a failure. And it's been so exciting to see our youth here at St. Aldate's start to lead services over the past few weeks. And we want to see more. We want to pioneer a space, a service on a Sunday where our youth feel like they can belong and shape and lead. And that's what we're going to do. I believe the Lord is calling us to invest in our youth, to raise them up as leaders, to, to, to shape their gifting so that they can be sought and light in their schools and their colleges, that they might know the support and encouragement of this church as they live out their faith on the front line. Think of the impact they can have. In my first year at university in this city, I hung on to my faith by my fingertips. Just. I dread to think where I would be today. without the student pastors who came alongside me, who comforted me, who encouraged me, who prayed with me and for me, even as my life was all over the place. And people gave so I could experience that children's work, that youth work, that student work. I don't know who those people are. I'll probably never know their names and I'll probably never meet them this side of eternity. But I can tell you if I get the chance in heaven, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for giving and trusting God to deploy it. Thank you for giving, even though you didn't know exactly what impact it would have. Thank you for giving and trusting God to bear the fruit because it's made such a difference in my life. I can tell them of the story. There are people who gave so that we could find a church when we were in our 20s and 30s, who gave to enable small groups to be raised up where people could be discipled and encouraged as they sought to live out their faith in their workplaces, in their homes, in their schools, and their universities. 
people who are giving right now to enable people to be discipled in the city so that they can shape their workplaces, their hospitals, their schools with the good news of Jesus. And we want to see people, you know, our young adults, people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and beyond, knowing their purpose, set on fire with a passion for Jesus, leading in a way that bears witness to Jesus, investing in the rising generation and saying to them, yeah, I've seen a bit of what's life like. I've navigated this long obedience in the same direction. Let me impart something to you. Let me pass on my wisdom and experience for you as you try and make sense of this. How to lead with wisdom and insight. This is what I've learned. The investment you have made, you are making, the investment you can make today has huge potentials. It starts chain reactions in people's lives, empowered by the Spirit. Your whole communities can be transformed. The city can be transformed. Our region can be transformed. Just think what is possible. Just think of the opportunity to impact people's lives. One day, on the final day, lots of the things that seem so important and so big to us will fade away like shadows at daybreak. On that day, relatively few things will matter. Invest in those things. Invest in things of eternal significance. You know, I used to lean back on gift days. I was like leaning back in my chair, like trying not to catch the pastor's eye. But now I want to lean in. You know, I might be able to give a little, I might be able to give a lot, but I want to know what we're reaching for as a church. I want to be part of it. I want to be connected to it. I want to be invested in it. I don't want the church to retreat in my generation, not on my watch. We are here at the strategic church in the strategic city at a strategic time, at a global crossroads. We're not here by accident. Sometimes it feels like that. Because I'm just here by accident. You have been called here. You have been placed here. There is a purpose for you here. And we have the opportunity to sow into the lives of hundreds of hundreds of people and see the name of Jesus lifted high in our church, in our city, in our land. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're gonna take a moment right now. Um, just encourage you, wherever you are at home, maybe you're just making yourself a cup of coffee or maybe you're just sitting on the sofa or you're just kind of gathered around a screen somewhere in your flat. It's gonna take a moment here in the building and at home just ask the Holy Spirit to guide each of us as to how we might respond today. So all I ask you to do is to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you today as to how you might respond.